0: Hello and welcome to the Get Blown Away podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise DeBarros.
1: And I'm Dane Robinson.
0: And today we are going to be discussing ice. So Today I am here with Dane and we are going to be talking about ice formation on wind turbine blades and the risks it can pose to safety and power production and if any of the claims made in the past about um, ice causing on wind turbines causing the ERCOT outage, if any of those claims are true.
1: Yeah, so I think specifically... This is part of a response to to myths started by, or not necessarily started, but really driven by the Texas governor, who after those major power outages during uh, an unusual cold freeze, basically tried to push the blame of the, the power grid failure on Texas's expanded use of renewable energy. So I think it was both, he was trying to call out both uh, solar and wind, or I'm not sure if he like specified which, but, but really there was an effort to push the blame onto renewables. Um, and it's kind of perpetuated into a myth that can kind of be seen in a lot of different places now where basically the claim is it's not worth building wind turbines in cold areas because they don't supply power when you need the power the most when you get these super fold freezes going through. And so you see this claim being made. It's like, how can we trust wind if when we need it the most, it's not going to be producing power?
0: That's an excellent question, because we do need reliable power production in order to maintain proper grid operation. I'm curious more about this ERCOT situation. So what was the actual case? If it wasn't wind turbines and solar outages that caused uh, the loss of power, what really happened? What's the story here?
1: Yeah, so I mean, NREL did a whole report, um, NREL being the National Renewable Energy's laboratory they did an investigation on the texas power grid failure and their findings were that wind energy actually matched the the modeled energy production Um, and so the wind turbines operated as they were expected to throughout that cold snap Um, and really there was one like it gets it gets a little bit into the finer details of how the grid works, but essentially you had an unusual high demand on the grid because more people were trying to run their heaters. Right. And then you also had uh, reduced energy production from Basically all sources, wind energy production was reduced by this cold snap, cold weather. It is true that cold weather reduces the efficiency of wind turbine performance, especially if they don't have cold weather packages, which we'll get into more in detail later on in the episode, Um, but other energy production sources were also impacted by this. So, you know, natural gas power plants were also dealing with freezes because of these cold temperatures. And there was a large failure by the Texas power grid to be prepared for a cold weather event. So this wasn't just like a renewable energy thing. This was a, a much broader issue. And it, and it has to do in part because companies haven't been incentivized to prepare for those uh, those events. Whether those incentivizations come as requirements or because when you have these shutdowns, I mean, what, what I think they were selling energy at one point for $9,000 per megawatt hour. And so, I mean, when you're starting to talk about that kind of return on your energy, it probably makes more sense to make that investment to get these cold weather preparedness um, where maybe it wouldn't if that money weren't available. I don't think that's the best way to determine whether or not there should be, I guess, cold weather packages. And But it is a way that that is happening. Because um, essentially preparing for the cold costs money. And whether you're a wind energy company or a natural gas company, you don't want to spend money unless you need to, or unless it's going to end up making you more money in the future. Um, and so I guess that's kind of, that. that's what was going on in the Texas situation, or at least the, that's my best attempt to
0: explain it. So why do you think that often people turn to blaming wind in the case of outages and things like that?
1: I think, in part, it's an easy target because it's new.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? I mean, not that anything's been around For crazy long time, like what I I feel like you only have to go back a a couple hundred years before there just wasn't mass scale energy production anywhere. Um, But you know, wind energy in particular has seen a lot of growth over the past two decades. It wasn't too long ago that wind energy was producing less than one percent of America's power, and now it's producing ten or over ten percent of. Electricity generation in the United States comes from wind energy. And so when you have these other anomalies happening, and you also have a new energy source, I think it's natural to, to be suspect, I guess, of the change you made. Um, Which is why NREL did take the time. It's why there was a further investigation, especially for something that was so impactful, both in terms of human life and and the economics of this Texas failure. Um, And then I think there's also just some general criticism of renewable energy. And there's this viewpoint that wind energy just isn't viable in general and so you see like these these memes where people be like oh look at this wind turbine here you know it's it's in the cold right so it's covered in ice and they were trying to de-ice the turbine by running a helicopter and spraying some sort of chemical solution on it and so the meme is like wow look at this turbine made with fossil fuels you know being sprayed by a chemical made by fossil fuels from a helicopter that's burning fossil fuels and so i think people just feel the need to defend the the fossil fuel industry which you know i try i'm i'm not sure how sympathetic i am of it but i do think that's the explanation or at least part of it
0: mm-hmm, for sure You mentioned having a chemical solution as a way to prevent ice formation, but let's back up and talk about how ice forms on turbine blades in the first place. Why does that happen? How does that happen? How big of a concern is it for us as wind turbine enthusiasts or the general public?
1: Yeah. So I think, I guess we are now at a good spot to shift more into like, well, why why do turbines perform worse in cold weather and ice is definitely a large part of that because when you have these cold weather systems it becomes possible for ice to build up on on turbine blades and really there are at least my understanding is that there's two main mechanisms through which this happens where essentially if the air is cold enough and there's enough water in the air Just by spinning, the turbine can start causing these water particles in the air to directly freeze onto the turbine blade. Um, And this is the more significant. When this kind of event is happening, you can get a much larger ice buildup. Um, the second, and I, you know, it's still something that happens and still has a significant impact, but it's just if you have some sort of precipitation, if you're having snow or rain, um, that can then freeze onto the metal surface of a turbine blade. And then I guess the second part of the question is how does that impact the, the turbine operation? Because that, that kind of explains how the ice forms itself. Um, But essentially you have these turbine blades that are made with pretty precise airfoils and shapes like they're designed to maximize how much, I guess, energy transfer you're getting from the wind. And so as you're changing the shape of that, you're going to reduce the efficiency with which that turbine speeds. But it doesn't just stop there it can also impact the mechanical systems of the turbine um, i think it's really intuitive i mean you see these turbines spinning like in that big circle but like all these blades can rotate and can pitch and you have all these smaller mechanical systems in here and as you add ice to the system it can it can act to bind up those systems it can also i guess that's more cold than ice that is doing the binding But I guess the ice as it forms on the turbine blade also adds mass to the system. And so you have all this extra weight. If you haven't been around a turbine blade, it might be difficult to really understand how truly massive these blades are. And so if you have even less than an inch of ice accumulation across the entire length of the blade, that's a lot of weight. Um and so that puts additional strain onto all of these mechanical systems which increases the wear it can lead to maintenance um yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I saw somewhere that uh, wind turbine blades can weigh up to 24,000 pounds and spin at a speed of up to 450 miles per hour, which is pretty significant. So if you add an inch of ice to that big, chunky blade, oh, you, <laughs> you're still adding. You're probably talking thousands of, of
1: pounds of ice. So yeah, yeah, no, it, uh...
0: it's a real problem for sure. So we've just discussed how ice forms on wind turbines and why that's a problem for the mechanical operation of the turbines. Are there safety considerations or other factors when ice forms on turbines?
1: There, yeah, so I, the other concern you have with ice is ice throw. Where, like, if you have a turbine operating while there's ice on it, it has the potential to just absolutely yeet (laughs) large chunks of ice pretty big distances. Um, These blades are spinning fast. And especially with that length, that just turns into a giant catapult of a lever arm. And ice gets flung off of it. And, yeah, it, it poses significant risk. And actually, that's an important part of turbine, like a wind farm site planning. So as these developers want to build wind turbines, part of that process is doing an ice assessment where you figure out how frequently icing will occur, how severe the icing will be, and you figure out what areas of risk are there. And then you just make sure that your turbine isn't anywhere near a space where people could be impacted um, by this ice throw. Um, because, yeah, no, that would be, you, you don't want to be putting a wind turbine that can get iced over in a spot where it could be throwing a block of ice at somebody's house or mm-hmm. into the middle of a highway. Or, so, yeah, that's part of the site planning. It, it, it is another concern, and it's it's a concern that's well documented and is taken into account for.
0: How, I'm just curious, how frequently does ice throw occur and what kind of damage can it cause? I mean, if you have um, a hundred pound piece of ice flying off of a wind turbine, accelerated by the motion of the blades, that could probably cause some significant damage. But are there documented cases of wind turbines causing damage to homes or to people or property? Or is it less common because wind turbines are typically located away from urban centers?
1: I don't know of any documented cases. It wouldn't surprise me if there are some out there. Um, But I am aware of a study from like 2004, the early 2000s, where they were realizing this could be a significant problem. And then it would likely become more significant as turbines get bigger because you have a bigger turbine, you have a bigger lever arm, mm-hmm. so you have a faster tip speed is, I guess, the, the term for it, which is just tracking the velocity of that, the tip of the turbine blade, which is where the blade is moving the fastest. Um, and so, like, really considering, okay, if you have a blade going this fast, how far can the ice throw it? Um, but yeah, I don't know of documented cases to answer your question. And the larger the ice chunk, the less frequently you would see it, right? So it's more common to see smaller ice chunks than, than large ice chunks. But yeah, just the, the risk is the risk of large chunks of ice falling from the sky, um, up to like, I think it's like 200 meters away for I I don't even know how tall the turbine was for uh, that assessment I read. But I think the rule of thumb is you want to stay 1.5 times the height of the turbine away from any at risk areas.
0: Gotcha. That's good Um, to know. Useful rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Which again, like, if you were if you were a developer, you would be
0: doing a more in depth analysis. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, with regard to these problems posed by cold weather on wind turbine function, are there any solutions to this this issue of ice formation and ice throw?
1: Yeah. Um, so you kind of have two different systems that are used both for ice and cold weather in general. Um, So the two types of systems, or I guess there's, there's a whole bunch of systems. There's (laughs) plenty. Some of them are theoretical. Some of them are in use, Um, but they, you generally categorize them into two, uh, into two groups, which are passive systems and active systems. So passive systems include like a hydrophobic coating and just trying to make sure that that blade's repelling water because if it's you know if you don't have water accumulation on the blade or if you can limit the water accumulation on the blade then you can also limit the the ice that forms on it. Um, You can try to make it so it absorbs more solar radiation Um, and again just with the hopes that as the sun heats up the blades, I can speed up the rate at which the ice falls off, or maybe you can get the blades to store more heat so it prevents the ice accumulation to begin with. Um, you know, and just mostly you're focusing with passive uh, with passive ice prevention you're looking at things that don't require any active inputs, things that can be built into the turbine to begin with. You throw it up, you let it stand in the middle of your ice storm and whatever that paint is doing, it's it's doing what it can. But you you as the a turbine operator doesn't need to use any controls for those systems. Mm-hmm. I guess you could also maybe, with the exception of of just using the pitching of the turbine blades, because there are you can just like rotate the turbine to try to get the blades to be getting as much sun as possible. Which I believe that is also considered a passive uh, form of I guess cold weather protection. And then the other category are the active systems. Um, so active systems have to do more with having heat pumps and heat sinks or having resistors set throughout these turbine blades or resistive coatings on the paint where basically you can run electricity through the length of the blade, generate heat, and then melt the ice off of the blades. Generally speaking, in areas where you have frequent cold weather, you want to have more active cold protection, where areas where these cold weather events happen less frequently, you can get away with using just passive uh, passive features. Is there anything I missed in that discussion there?
0: Well, there's a couple interesting technologies. We mentioned chemicals, which is in a passive form. And so that works like antifreeze, but you have to regularly apply it and it can also cause environmental damage. So it doesn't seem like an ideal technology or one that could be super widely applied. And I was just looking at a paper from a host of authors at Chongqing University in China evaluating a few different technologies. One that seemed interesting is the electro-impulse de-icing system, which is used in both aircraft and wind turbines it seems like. So there's a control system that sends a signal to a circuit that um, basically creates a pulse in order to shake the ice off of the blade. There's a few theoretical systems that also haven't been implemented, like ultrasonic de-icing. Not totally <laughs> sure how that works. Um, microwave de-icing that um, pushes microwave... <laughs> oh, there's microwave reflecting materials that cover the blade surface of... Um, yeah, there's a couple different technologies. You can blow hot air onto the blade, but again, it seems like the heating and the coatings are kind of the two that are most widely used. All right, with those solutions, which technology do you see is the most useful or applicable for reducing ice formation on wind turbine blades?
1: I, I think here, I, and I think I'm going to answer this question without actually specifically addressing any specific technology (laughs) cool um so maybe (laughs) maybe, it's a bit of a cop-out but i think it is the right answer which is that it depends on the environment where the turbine is being built Mm -hmm. and, and the situation surrounding that it might make sense for a place like texas to really not pay all the extra money that it takes to build these de-icing technologies, right? It might not make sense for them to have every single turbine in Texas pre-equipped with the technology that allows turbines to operate in temperatures as low as negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit um, because that kind of weather doesn't happen there as often. And so maybe it makes more sense for them to be ready with some chemicals that they can really quickly spray on the turbine blades because there's only one big icing event every year. I'm not saying that that is the case, but I'm giving a theoretical example here where it's just like, you need to like really consider what the environmental impact would be and what the economic impact would be. And and I guess the societal impact, because if you're having grid failures, then that Yeah, I think that goes beyond the economic impact.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, But yeah, so, you know, it depends where if if you're building a wind farm in Wyoming, I think it would be irresponsible not to include cold weather packages and include, I guess, the technology that will allow it to safely operate for the majority of the time. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about these cold weather packages and what temperature ranges they function in? Um, do they include a variety of technologies? It probably depends on the company that's making them as well. I know General Electric has a couple out there. Yeah,
1: and and I don't know for sure like how detailed they have and what are included in these packages. It includes heaters for the lubricants, which is something we haven't talked about as much. But, yeah, when you have these cold weathers, it's not just ice that's hurting these turbine blades. I'm going to pivot a little bit here and I'll, I'll get back to that question. Uh, but it's also the cold weather in general can impact a lot of different subsystems. Um, so I think the most notable are the lubricants that go into all of these different moving parts. As you get to these low temperatures they effectively I guess harden up or like they become more viscous Um, and that both can cause like binding in the system increased wear it makes it so you don't want to be operating the turbine Um, so when you're heating the turbine you're not just heating the blades you're also heating the lubricants and the wiring and all these components that can be sensitive to these extreme cold weather patterns. Um, So yes, to to address it, so the heaters for lubricants are part of these cold weather packages. The other thing that's important is having good ice detection and having systems that can measure wind speeds accurately in these cold and icy conditions. Because just a small amount of ice accumulation an anemometer or just any a wind speed gauge that isn't prepared for it can give inaccurate wind speed readings and that can also really impact how that wind farm is being managed. Um, so that is another important part of, I guess, being prepared for cold weather. But yeah, so ice detection, de-icing, heating, passive de-icing system or ice prevention systems, and then, yeah, just. Cool. Um.
0: From the information at NREL, it says that the cold climate turbines can operate uh, at temperatures up to, or I guess down to, negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 30 degrees Celsius. Um, how realistic do you think it is for wind turbine companies to invest in de icing? Strategies are in these cold climate packages. Do you think they're economically viable for companies? Um, and another question I had is whether grid operators in cold climates should mandate that wind farms have cold weather packages to prevent outages or reduced power generation when those cold those lows the fronts come in
1: (laughs) yeah i think i think that's on to those local governments to decide what the need would be um if if energy systems in a specific grid decides that hey we need to have more reliable wind production in these extreme cold weather events then yeah i think it would make sense to have that kind of regulation um but i don't think you know I'm not ready to be the one ringing the bell calling for, uh, these massive regulations. And I think in general, I would guess that they're not necessary, but again, if I'm not a grid operator, um, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, and I guess just, and I think, you know, I keep, I keep going back to this, but it depends, you know, cold weather packages are expensive. I think it's like, I saw some number somewhere saying it's like $400,000 for the installation on like a 2.5 megawatt turbine per, per turbine. And that's not without considering the increased maintenance costs that comes with increased number of systems and increased, I guess, operational costs as you're running energy. I mean, this kind of gets into another bit of the myth here where there was this whole other story going on I, in response to this Texas story where they're like, oh, my God, there's these turbines in Scotland that are diesel powered. And what happened in there was that um, a section of turbines got separated from the rest of the grid and had to shut down in these cold conditions. And I think they did have these heating systems pre-installed into the turbine blades. So when they got those turbines back online, uh, those turbines needed to have power run into them to power the de-icing on those turbines in order to get them ready to be, I guess, turned on and to be able to continue to produce power for the grid. And so, you know, the these people who were against wind energy were got, like, their nice aha moment. Like, wind turbines are actually diesel-powered. But uh, anyway, reality was it was part of powering the heating systems to get the turbines online. And once the turbines were online, they were then able to power their own heating systems and were able to generate more electricity than was used to to deice them because what would be the point of deicing if you weren't going to get that energy cost back that would um, be
0: silly <laughs> yeah
1: um anyway so point being is it's expensive which is why it shouldn't be required everywhere because if you were to have a blanket requirement one that's like a needless use of a large number of resource and two, that would it would slow the growth of renewable energies because it would become more resource intensive to continue to build these projects, especially in places where they aren't necessary.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. And maybe we'll see the cost decrease as we continue to as we continue to produce more wind turbines and it becomes a more prevalent technology. yeah. Thank you for all of your insights today. Any concluding thoughts on the topic of icing on wind turbines and the thought that it's not worth investing in wind power for cold climate areas?
1: Yeah, I, I, I would like to just add one more conclusion it. here. And just really clearly say that like the reduced energy production of wind turbines in cold weather is real. I think that's one of the more impactful weather patterns on wind energy production is these extreme cold weather events. But that's not to say that wind turbines can't operate because it's cold or they cannot be part of a effective power grid in areas where these cold weather events happen. Um, wind energy is always a variable energy source, including in these cold weather areas. And so part of building this diverse and robust grid with energy from a lot of different sources is understanding the variability in those sources. And as long as you've planned accordingly, wind energy both can and is like currently an important part of energy systems including in spaces that get uh frequent cold weather events so that's uh my last little spiel here um yeah thanks again for listening uh SCO wind
0: see you on our next episode ice ice baby dun, 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 dun. <laughs>